All right, I want to start the show today by uh, asking all of you to step inside of a time machine with me for just a second. There's probably a lot of different reasons in 2020 that you may have some interest in stepping into a time machine, but we're going to keep this uh, explicitly related to college basketball here in our state through the first oh, three weeks of the season or so. I want to put you in a time machine and take you back to, let's say, last January, last February. I was reveling, myself, I was reveling in the struggles of the UNC basketball team last year, which, uh, if you do not remember, need I remind you that it was the worst coaching year, record-wise. I'm not sure how much Roy could have done it, but the worst year, record-wise, of Roy Williams' head coaching basketball career. Carolina without a doubt, struggled last season with Cole Anthony. Or without Cole Anthony, however you want to spin it. State fans, you were loving it, but state fans, this isn't about you. This isn't about me. Duke basketball fans who were laughing in the face of the UNC Tar Heels last year and the struggles that UNC had to deal with last year. What I think you need to do, my advice to you, is pick up the phone, dial, text, email, whatever you need to do, and reach out to the Carolina fans that you may have wronged a year ago. Because after watching the game last night, where Duke ends up falling to Illinois, 83-68, to after watching Duke's game last week against Michigan State, which they also lost, and even seeing some of the Duke versus Bellarmine game this past Friday night, which Duke did win. I am here to warn you and to let Duke fans know that uh, this team, this Duke team, where Matthew Hurt appears to be your best player, this team ain't it. The Duke Blue Devils, if you missed it last night, fell to the number six team in the nation. So, mind you, losing to a very good basketball team, but lose to Illinois by a final score of 83 to 68. 15 point loss for the Duke Blue Devils, who now fall to two and two on the season. Their two wins coming by a 10 point win versus Coppin State and beating a team in Bellarmine who I'd never heard of by just 21. Uh, a couple, or excuse me, this past Friday night. This Duke team does not have any NBA talent. And I don't mean that there aren't guys who are eventually going to make it into the league. I think Jalen Johnson, who, if you're going to look at ESPN you know, rankings or future NBA mock draft rankings, Jalen Johnson is the guy who, based on the scouts and what everybody tells you, probably has the best upside, the most upside, has the game that can transition to the next level a little bit better. I kind of think he models his game after R.J. Barrett, what we saw R.J. Barrett do uh, at Duke a couple of years ago with a little bit less offensive polish, a little bit more of a um, the glue guy mentality, a little bit more of the, the hard nose, fighting in the paint, getting the rebounds. I was talking to somebody about it over the weekend, and Andre Iguodala was actually the comp I came up with for Jalen Johnson. So when you look at what Duke has done over the last couple of years, especially since Mike Krzyzewski has adopted – at least in uh, half a capacity, he has adopted a little bit of the one-and-done mindset, the one-and-done mentality. Well, this year's Duke team is not bringing the heat, is not bringing the fire the way they have in years past. 
They do not have shooters. I mean, Matthew Hurt, I guess, is their best shooter. We've been expecting Joey Baker to be a great shooter since he arrived at Duke. Way too much pressure being put on Jordan Goldwire. When is the last time that you've really... uh, Jordan Goldwire has never been anything other than the third point guard for Duke. They are essentially using him as the main guy right now. They're waiting for DJ Stewart to come along. We talked last week, DJ Stewart, a guy doesn't look very impressive. Strikes me as just 100% an AAU type of player. Maybe able to have success eventually in the pros, but when it comes to... We, we saw last year, when we talked about Cole Anthony and the Tar Heels, that's really struggled so much last season. One of the points that was continually brought up was something about Cole Anthony doesn't feel like he's fitting well inside of Roy Williams' system. Sure, he can have success within that system. He can put up some numbers. Uh, We know Cole Anthony was really seeking out his shot a lot last year. And so that turned into him having these 20, 25, even what, 35, I think 40 points in the opening game for UNC last year. It's not that he can't get his numbers. It's that when you put... The pieces together, the whole unit does not feel as cohesive. This Duke team this year, I know it's early, and I'm not sure. I'm not saying they can't fix it. I'm not saying we haven't seen Duke struggle out of the gates at any point over the last five years. We've seen it plenty of times, but this is the first time that I have watched a Duke team in a long time. I'm trying to rack my brain and figure out the last time I've seen a Duke that a Duke team that felt this disjointed. But honestly, I can't come up with one. This feels like the most disjointed Duke team that is lacking a superstar that I have seen in quite some time. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and write this team off early. Can I do that? I I know it may not be fair, but if you're going to get behind a team in this state, I don't think Duke is the team to do that with this year. Duke 2-2 on the season. Um, But if you don't think that... The entire basketball landscape in eastern North Carolina, or the college basketball landscape here in our state, is not going to get scorched today. Well, the only people who really have anything to be excited about are you good old folks in Greenville, North Carolina. The ECU Pirates, yes, your ECU Pirates coming off of an impressive win over UNCW, even though UNCW may not be the team that they've been over the last couple of years. You saw them take a big step back once Kevin Keats left. Uh, C.B. McGrath was quickly fired when he took over for Kevin Keats down there at UNCW. But regardless, the story so far in college basketball this year has been Joe Dooley, has been the Pirates' 4-0 and start. 4-0 and start for the ECU Pirates. Never thought I'd see the day. Here we are, big tip of the cap to Joe Dooley uh, and those guys. Jaden Garner is picking, picking up exactly where we thought he would. 16-11 and versus UNCW the other night. But the big story for the year so far, I think, has been the combination of play between guards Tristan Newton and J.J. Miles, who came in and poured in 22 points. 22 points for J.J. Miles um, the other night. I haven't gotten to watch but about half a game of ECU so far this year. I got to watch a decent amount of their season opener against Charlotte. Tomorrow night, you can catch ECU versus North Florida. Most of these games have been stuck on ESPN Plus so far. Um, So if you haven't gotten a chance to see ECU, tomorrow night's your opportunity. They're looking to start 5-0, 5-0 to start the year in non-conference play before next Wednesday. They'll go ahead and dip their toes into the American Athletic Conference waters, SMU versus ECU, coming up a week from now. But 
If you had to ask me, what was college basketball around here going to look like two, three weeks into the season? I wouldn't be feeling the best about ECU. Now, I'm not saying ECU's going anywhere. I'm not saying this is the year where they finally make their second ever NCAA tournament appearance. But if you've thought the the, the football program, excuse me, if you've thought the football program has felt hopeless, regardless of how you felt about the end of this season with the big win over SMU, the hopelessness that has surrounded the basketball team hasn't even we haven't been able to talk about it. No no one ever wants to have a conversation about ECU basketball because it's been so bad for so long. The last time I cared about ECU basketball was like in the early 2000s when Bill Harrion was still there. And that's because I had an uncle who was an assistant coach there at the time, so I was watching a lot of ECU basketball games. They've been nothing but an afterthought. I had uh, I had a cousin of mine who was at ECU when they won the the CIT championship. Was that about 2010, 2011, somewhere back then? And I remember the the excitement sitting there and watching a CIT championship game with ECU basketball fans and not being able to wrap my head around, why is this so exciting? And it's because there has been nothing to cheer about over there for so long. It's never been appointment television. It's been afterthought television. It's like, okay, I can't handle another rerun of I Love Lucy. I guess I will turn on some ECU basketball. They are 4-0 to start the season, which has been absolutely uh, remarkable. Excited about that. Got two other teams to get to here in just a second, but happy Wednesday to all of you out there. Welcome into the Sam Avalos Show. I am Sam Avalos. Uh, My apologies for being a little absent here at the beginning of the year. I... um, if you see, I've had some trips to a doctor's office. I have injured my toe. I have hurt myself, but I'm okay. If you see me limping around, mind your damn business. Excuse me, afternoon coffee time. But uh, yep. But I'm back. I'll be here the rest of the week. We'll be here all next week. Von Casey going to be here in studio with me this afternoon. He'll be here in the next segment. We're gonna have some fun. I've got something from Rex Ryan. I want to get to today. We're gonna talk some James Harden today. Uh, You wrestling fans, Becky Lynch had her baby yesterday. Her and Seth Rollins announced the birth of their child yesterday. But they picked a name for this baby that I am going to have to make fun of at some point today. But that's pretty much what's on tap coming up the rest of the day. College football playoff polls came out last night. We will get to what that means for some of our in-state schools coming up just a little bit later as well. Today's show being brought to you. By none other than Toyota of Newburn. Hey, how about this? Really cool thing going on at Toyota of Newburn right now. Toyota of Newburn wants to play Santa this year for a family in need, right? Holiday season. It's that time of year where we all try to dig deep down and um, find the better parts of ourselves and do something to help out those in need. But it's very simple. Toyota of Newburn wants to help all of you accomplish that this year. So, they are asking you to nominate a family in need and allow Toyota of Newburn to play Santa to them this year. All you have to do is simply send your story, the ages of the children, and a wish list to adopt a family contest at gmail.com. That's right. Adopt a family contest at gmail.com. Goes right through Toyota of Newburn. They are accepting nominations now through December 15th. So if you, uh, if you are so moved to do so, please help Toyota of Newburn help out someone who may be in need this year. 
Outside of that, hey, if you are looking to purchase a vehicle this holiday season, there is no better time to do it than right now. Toyotathon is still going on right now, but every single week, Toyota is rolling out their end-of-the-year manager specials. First up this week, there's a 2020 Buick Enclave Essence all-wheel drive with all the bells and whistles, a super popular 2018 Subaru Crosstrek Premium, and then Toyota's own best-selling sedan, the 2018 Camry, as the cars will run forever. Just some of the manager specials going on right now. No better time to get a deal on a new vehicle than right now at Toyota of New Bern. Give them a call. Check them out online. Tell them who sent you. Proud sponsors of the Sam Avila Show here on 252 ESPN Radio. So, moral of the story in the first 10 minutes here, Duke is going to have one of those years that's not too memorable. And, you know, it comes and goes with teams that are quickly put together and quickly turned over. I never thought in a million years I would think that they were going to miss Alex O'Connell. If you guys remember, he was uh, the most recent member of Duke basketball teams who had the annoying douchey haircut. (laughs) Alex O'Connell played there a couple years. Got to the point last year where I finally began to see his true value for this Duke team. And it was his ability to come in off the bench. And if you left him out there for 15, 20 minutes a night, sometimes you would be disappointed in the results. If you cap this guy at like 10 or 12 minutes a night, you would end up looking at the efficiency and saying, wow, how about that? We got 10 minutes out of Alex O'Connell, and in that time, he put up 14 points. He was a classic microwave in basketball, right? You need him to get hot fast. You need him to zap your food, provide that spark, and then get back out of the way. Duke is missing that this year, and I think that's going to be a big issue for them going forward and where we're going to see them ultimately struggle against better teams. Once they get in the ACC, I think they'll have a bit more success. Michigan State's a top 25 team. Illinois is probably a top five team after beating Duke last night. But I talk about Alex O'Connell, and uh, he transferred to Creighton in the offseason. I think we're going to see that a loss of a guy like that is going to be crushing for this Duke team this year. I bring him up because it leads me almost directly to UNC and what I think I have seen out of them so far this season. So UNC dropped their second game of the season last night. They lost 93-80 um, to 80 to the Iowa Hawkeyes. Iowa's a really good basketball team. They've probably got the best, uh, probably the best player in the entire country in Luke Garza. I don't know if... Professionally, he's going to turn into the best player in the country, but as far as what he's doing at the college level, the guy is the best in the country. 16 points, 14 rebounds last night. That's kind of a pedestrian night for Luke Garza, who feels like he's been in Iowa for the last 37 years. But I brought up O'Connell, used to be at Duke, and how he was the microwave guy. And that's what I'm also missing so far this season for UNC, is who is the guy who is going to bring some offensive firepower. I don't mean who's going to be able to score. I think this Carolina team has shown you that they are pretty well-rounded and balanced. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a well-rounded and balanced basketball team. Last night they had five guys that scored inside of double figures, or excuse me, outside of double figures, and then Leaky Black was right there. Leaky Black was a rebound and a basket away from a double-double last night. 
what we're seeing Carolina lack so far this year is a player who can go out and explode for 25, 30 points in a given night. Because when I look at these numbers, I see Garrison Brooks 17 points last night. That's pretty much right going to be on his average for the year this year. Rhonda John Davis, 12 points last night. Caleb Love, 11 points last night. Playtech, 10 points last night. Dayron Sharp, 13 points last night. None of these are players who come come out and get hot. None of these are players who can take over a game in any instance. The only guy I really feel like who maybe has shown any kind of ability to take over a game is Dayron Sharp, and that's just simply because he's bigger than anybody uh, in college basketball right now. It seems like if you have not watched UNC play this year and you have not seen Dayron Sharp, this young man who, uh, well, I guess he only played three years at South Central High School in Greenville, then transferred to Montverde Academy down in Florida, now making his college debut this year. The kid's built like Dwight Howard when Dwight Howard first got into the NBA. When he had the, the gigantic, massively broad shoulders, he put a Superman cape on, and we all we all accepted it because you just look at him and you say, you are physically larger and stronger than everybody else around you. Yes, we will gladly allow you to ordain yourself as Superman. Daron Sharp gives me those kind of vibes. And I'm not trying to say this in a negative way about Carolina. I'm trying to say if we want to see this team rise up to the level of a top 10, top 8, top 5 team this year, there is something about being balanced that is really fun in college basketball. There's also something about being super balanced that can be very frustrating at times in college basketball. And I can speak on this personally. Because when Mark Gottfried was at NC State outside of the year that they had Dennis Smith Jr., and in the first few years of Kevin Keats at NC State, NC State has been very balanced. Where you look out there and you feel pretty good about all five guys you have on the court. You feel good about your sixth or seventh man coming off the bench sometimes. But sometimes in certain moments, you're wondering, okay, what are we going to do here? Who can we just trust to give the ball and have them take over? Think about it in the NBA. In clutch time, what happens? The best players get the ball in their hands and they make something happen. Every player has one. Some players are better than others. Some teams have two or three in the NBA. But pretty much every single team has one. If you're a Carolina fan this year and it's the end of the game, who do you want that guy to be? Because Garrison Brooks, as much as I love Garrison Brooks, you can't just put the ball in his hand and have him create a shot. He kind of needs to work within the offense, needs to be the guy that gets second chance points, find him set up on the low post. You can't look at a guy like Andrew Playtech, who's just, you know, I'll say he's the gadget player. He's just a little white guy that runs around and pops the threes, right? And occasionally gets loose in the middle of the lane. I don't know how that ever happens. <laughs> Our man Armando Baycott, kind of the same way, doesn't have that offensive pressure that he can kind of put on you. The guy at Carolina this year who needs to become that is Caleb Love. But you're asking a lot from a guy who's only played four collegiate basketball games so far. A couple of weeks ago, I said the three players I am most eager to watch in our state this year, between our big three, NC State, Carolina, and Duke. There are three players that I want to watch because they're not the same, but they came in with the same sort of expectations. Caleb Love at Carolina, freshman guard. 
DJ Stewart, freshman guard at Duke. And then the guy flying under the radar, and don't roll your eyes because you know I'm a state fan, is Cam Hayes, freshman guard at NC State. Love and Stewart were both five-star guys. Cam Hayes was a four-star guy. Stewart and Love both have started the year as the starting guard for their respective teams. Cam Hayes has started on the bench so far this season, uh, but has been featured in a prominent role. Already has like a career-high 16 points he put up against UMass Lowell last week. Of those three guys, the guy who I am most impressed with is, without a doubt, Caleb Love. So even though it's early and I am not discounting UNC for their loss last night against Iowa, I am certainly not discounting them for their loss against Texas last week. It's basketball. The undefeated thing carries a heavy burden. And when you're a team like Carolina trying to just put last year behind you, being at least competitive in these games feels good. Carolina's going to be fine. But Carolina does not have the player on this team playing up to the level that they need them to yet. Because that guy needs to be Caleb Love. As frustrating as it was last year to see what happened with the offense when Cole Anthony wasn't in the or was in the game or wasn't in the game. Remember there was that stretch where he was out injured last year and Garrison Brooks kind of took over and the offense looked better. But then Cole Anthony came back. That was kind of an exception because of how Cole Anthony liked to play. Massively inefficient, likes to put up 30 shots a game. But for all my life, and Carolina fans, you know this better than I do, it has always been that one point guard who runs the show and frustrates you for years and years. Kendall Marshall did it forever. Joel Berry did it forever. Ty Lawson did it forever. These were the guys who, when it mattered most, could take the games over. And not just be the guy who can score, but also be the guy that can get you in the right position. I think Caleb Love has the ability to be a more efficient offensive weapon for Carolina this year. Something that they did not have last year in Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony was great, massively inefficient. Still cannot believe that he was drafted so highly by the Orlando Magic. Wishing him luck, I'm just saying. I think Caleb Love has that potential this year. I'll tell you the guy I really like at Carolina is uh, Walker Kessler so far this season, uh, but didn't really get too much run last night. I mentioned NC State. NC State has just had a frustrating basketball season so far this year. If you haven't been paying attention to the NC State Wolfpack, well, uh, they're 3-0, and but they haven't had to beat anybody yet because they have already had two different games be canceled. This last Saturday against UConn, and then uh, they were actually supposed to be playing Michigan tonight in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We're we're, uh, robbed of a midweek NC State Wolfpack primetime basketball game. COVID issues within the party. uh, The travel party is how they've been wording these things. But I wanted to read this quote from you yesterday. And I don't want to do any speculation here. But in some of the press that was coming out yesterday around NC State and around Michigan, I read a quote from Juwan Howard, who is, uh, you may be surprised, Juwan Howard's been the coach at Michigan for about two, maybe three years now. Read this quote from Juwan Howard. He actually said this yesterday. He said, quote, Far too often have I had to say we're all living in unprecedented times. Our main concern is for the health and safety of head coach Kevin Keats his players, as well as those within the NC State program. It's unfortunate we have to postpone this ACC Big Ten Challenge matchup. It would have been fun. However, we must do what is right, and this is the right thing to do. Was it just me? Am I reading too much into this? Or when I hear the first line that says, our main concern is the health and safety of Coach Kevin Keats, 
it screams to me a little bit that we and I haven't gotten any reporting here, and I may just have complete speculation, but uh, that sounds like a little bit of a Freudian slip from Jermon Howard and basically pointing the finger and saying, Kevin Keach has COVID. Like, I'm not a journalist, so I can do this reckless speculation thing. I am extrapolating this statement and saying that it sounds to me like Jawan Howard just told us that Kevin Keats has COVID. If that would be the case, that would be the first big example around here of somebody um, who is in any kind of position of power. Not that that matters one way or the other, but from a sports perspective, it's kind of a big deal for the NC State Wolfpack if Kevin Keats is going to be knocked out of commission for a while with with uh, with the Rona. So not trying to speculate anything here, just something worth noting. thought it was kind of an oddly specific way of phrasing that from Jawan Howard to specifically point out Coach Kevin Keats at NC State and uh, you know his thoughts and prayers being with his family. So something to keep an eye on. We will monitor. But as of right now, NC State um, not scheduled to play another basketball game until this upcoming Saturday evening where they'll be back home hosting Florida Atlantic. And then the Wolfpack will be getting into conference play uh, next week as well. ACC conference play. Uh, really, all these conference teams. ECU included, going to be getting into their conference schedules a little bit earlier today. So, anyways, just want to share that with you guys. Quick little whip around for college basketball here in our state. But let's get this first break out of the way. When we come back, Von Casey back in studio with me for the next couple of days. You're listening to the Sam Avalos Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Sam Avalos Show. Very happy to now be joining, or I guess he's joining me. Yeah, it's, we're like mutually joining each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Von like Casey that. hanging out with me now. <laughs> Von, what's up, man? Not much, man. How, how are you doing? Uh, better than you and your. Um, oh. Let's see. How can I say this? Here the we go. the right. Dallas mm-hmm. Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Um, that is Dallas with bunch of L's. nine L's now. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> the Dallas that's Cowboys. Yeah, they dropped thirty four to seventeen last night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to the Baltimore Ravens. We still, we didn't make our quarterback the highest played player in, in the league. Oh, we're going to talk some Carson okay. Wentz. Let me make sure we're going to talk about the Eagles. We're going to okay. uh, we're going to sadly get to Carson okay. Wentz. There's plenty today. going on in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I, I was thinking about you last night when I was watching this game, and it's funny because my general manager and I were having a conversation about it this morning. Last week when you were in here, we were talking about Bill Walton. And Carolina fans, and how you know Carolina fans were so frustrated with Bill Walton and um, his style of commentary yeah. during a basketball game. And you brought up Troy Aikman, yes, and how Dallas Cowboys fans hate Troy Aikman. Mm-hmm. And I had never really heard much about that until last night. Until and, last and night. it was like it was like yeah, Troy Aikman was just going in on Dallas, and I saw it all over Twitter. Cowboys fans upset, and then. Uh, my general manager, he's a he's a Washington football team fan. He was in here talking about that this morning. Troy Aikman wasn't holding back. You were all over that like a week before it happened. Yeah, I, it's it's every week. Like every time he commentates a game, it, you'll get your hear like audible groans in my house. You'll be like, ah, who's who's commentating? Aikman? Oh my god! <laughs> so this is this is like. I gotta give credit to, to Pops on this one because he's been on it for years. Yeah, years. Anti Aikman, huh? Really anti Aikman. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dallas, uh, yeah, Dallas. So they're now three and nine on the season. Mm-hmm. Four games left. So I, I'm going to one of these days go back and dig up the audio from the you beginning should. of the year when we were predicting the season for everybody. 
I had the Dallas Cowboys going. Was it th- what three it was, and thirteen? Three and thirteen. Three and thirteen. Yeah. Um, they've got the Bengals, the Forty ers the Eagles, and the Giants left. So still an opportunity there. Still an opportunity to maybe to maybe get that fourth to go over the over under there yeah. of, of three. Did you see? Uh, do you want to gander a guess as to who has the longest winning streaks as of right now in the NFC? The longest winning streak in the NFC? Streaks. Uh, Streaks. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So number one is the New Orleans Saints. I would think that, that that would be my guess. The second longest active winning streak in the NFC, the New York football giants, led by Colt McCoy and Alfred Morris. <laughs> what year is it? Four straight wins. Oh, and then man. number three, the Washington football team. Look at the NFC lease. <laughs> NFC beast, baby. Right. We're back. <laughs> The whole division's back. Back just like that. Uh, we're going to get to some more football at some point today. But I told you I had something for you. Um, I don't know. I, I've teased Vaughn about this on air before. But Vaughn, and I don't know if this is something that you uh, you strive for. I don't know if this is a moniker that you you like associated with yourself or not. I think you do to an extent. But Vaughn is a little bit of a uh, – he's one of these woke people. You okay. you are you are woke. You are very. Uh, you're just better about talking about real ma- real social matters and things that matter better than I am. So anybody who can talk about anything that's actually important better than me, I consider to be woke. Okay. <laughs> so okay. I'll throw you in there, but I always like getting your opinions when it comes to. I don't know if it, if it's racial issues or what. I'm just going to throw this right out here. Uh, Carrie Champion and Jamel Hill do a show on Vice. <laughs> Yeah, yes, they do. And you may have seen this clip because I think it was yesterday. It may have been earlier this morning. She was trending on Twitter today. Jamel Hill was trending, and I looked up, and it's because they had on their show Logan Paul. Mm, yes, they did. Logan Paul, uh, a week and a half ago, was in a fight, a sanctioned real fight that was uh, sold on pay-per-view yes. between Nate Robinson. For real money. For real money. Yes. Um, Nate Robinson... The basketball player. The basketball player yes. versus Logan Paul, the YouTuber. This yes. was like the co-main event in that Tyson-Roy Jones fight. I want to say I saw that. Uh, that card ended up doing like $1.4 million on pay-per-view. Really? Or actually, I think it may have been higher than that. Let me. Uh, I made a note of this somewhere. Let me see if I can find this. Okay. That's a- uh, $1.2 million pay-per-view vo- buys. Okay, buys, buys okay. not dollars. Wow. Buys. Okay. Um, that is the highest amount of buys for a boxing bout in years. That's according to Darren Ravel. Um, so I guess we can get excited about paying a lot of money for what, Tyson Holyfield next, maybe. I would like to see it. <laughs> but to, <laughs> to get back to Jamel Hill, and I'm curious, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. So her and Carrie Champion had Logan Paul on their show, and they did an interview with him talking about uh, maybe a side effect of Logan Paul knocking out Nate Robinson. Mm-hmm. And so... Some folks are just going to roll their eyes at this. I think it's partially a troll job from Jamel Hill. Von Casey, let me get your opinions on this sound. Take a listen. To be honest, um, I, I almost started to protest this show. because Why? It, I, I'll tell you why. And this is our question of the week. We saw what happened to Nate Robinson, so I'm going to ask Jake Paul right here in front of America. I guess it's Jake Paul, not Logan Paul. Logan I get them confused. They're the same person. guy. <laughs> Jake um, considering where we are right now in our racial conversation in America, was what you did to Nate Robinson racist? <laughs> that is the no. question of the week. Man, 
Nah, stop playing with me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Jake, it's a sensitive time right now. We just had to witness a white man just knock a black man smooth out in front of all of America. So that's why I asked that. But just just tell us about that that moment real quick, because uh, it looked like Nate was asleep before he ever even hit the canvas. Yeah, I mean, this is what we train for. You know, at the end of the day, boxing is a sport. And, uh, you know, you train to win. And that's, that's what I went in there and did. And I, I, uh, I worked hard for this. And, you know, Nate, Nate is the one who called me out originally. So I think he is frozen. Hey, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you guys now. Oh, Sorry, okay. my that's Wi-Fi okay. is unstable, like my relationship. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's start from the beginning. Okay. First and foremost, was it racist to knock a black man out? That is the question of the Oh, week. stop asking me that. I said no. It's not racist. <laughs> it's a question. It's a sport. Why is it a question? Do. Why is it a question? Because it, how does this have anything to do with race? It, just, it doesn't. It's a At fine least. question. We got to wake you up. You got to be a part of this conversation. <laughs> That's right. Because like, if you can go from... Pe- oh, oh. <laughs> He's Oh, and you know what? He just hit himself harder than Nate Robinson ever hit him. Yeah. If you, if- All right, so there you go. There's the sound. Vaughn, I ask you, yeah. is this is this simply a, a troll job by Jamel Hill to get herself trending this morning? Because there is, <laughs> look, 2020 has been a weird year when it comes to difficult conversations. I don't know if this is necessarily a conversation that needs to actually be had. If a sanctioned boxing match because the white guy knocked out the black guy, if we need to start throwing the racist word around. No, but Jamel Hill was trolling. (laughs) I think Jamel was trolling. Uh, Just because. All right. So Jamel has an issue. She has a lot of. She has run out of a lot of goodwill. Yeah. With a large portion of Twitter. Uh for a lot of different reasons, some good, some bad. How about you? What is, what is your like? I, because I know like you go after guys like Jason Whitlock, yeah. who tend to toe the line. She kind of toes the line in the opposite direction. I don't ever know. I can't because I know that Jamel is a smart person. Right. I never know what is going on in her head when she says things. So it'll it plays like. Sometimes I can get that she's joking. Sometimes I get that she's not. <laughs> she's she's all over the place, but. Man, this, <laughs> I that's would, what I did. In, Your reaction in, right there was exactly me when I saw this because situa- I just laughed. I was like, we're, we're, we're kidding, right? In this situation, I think she's trolling mainly because why would you ever take a boxing match between Nate Robinson and Jake Paul seriously? That's a very good point. Why would you have uh, overarching if you're point, going, if yes. she, if Her and Carrie Champion have been working in sports media for like years yeah a very long time carrie champion i firmly hold was the anchor for honestly one of the best sports shows of our time say what you want about skip bayless and Stephen a (laughs) when it was first take with Stephen a skip bayless carrie champion and like prime time tim tebow era that was appointment television it's a a hard job to keep that show on track right so look they have done they have risen in the ranks and have like had to scrape and claw for everything they have right. and now i am i have my own sports show and you want me to talk to jake paul about sports yeah. no i don't care i'm gonna <laughs> why not why not infuriate twitter for the morning get a viral clip and get a bonus from vice yeah why yeah not? so that's actually you're right i think that's what it feels like it feels like this interview was sort of thrust upon her and it, like it was it. i have no interest in interviewing jake paul <laughs> She was also confused if it was Logan Paul or Jake Paul, yeah. like we were. Um, and, and she does research, so I know that she didn't even look at the notes. Yes. 
Yeah, it's uh, it, I, this was. I think this was a troll job. If not, then yeah, I don't know what, what what's going on over there. But <laughs> I do shout out to Nate Robinson <laughs> because all those Nate Robinson memes were tough, and I love Nate Robinson. Yeah. Like that was my guy back in the day. <laughs> Play for the Knicks and everything. I love Nate Robinson. I was I was going through some memes with a buddy of mine the other day. Let me see if I can pull one up here. Oh, no. um, it was something about uh, so I think when Nate Robinson was setting up the fight, essentially he said that he was going to go out there and you know he was going to represent the NBA family. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then he goes out there, gets knocked out, and uh, Swaggy P comes in on Twitter and said, "Bro, that was no representation of the NBA family." <laughs> And then and then Nate Robinson also tweeted out before the fight. He said, "I'm going to go out here and shock the world." He did say that. And Steph Curry came back and responded after the fight. No lies detected. No here. lies. <laughs> not a single lie detected. No, no lies detected. Yeah. I, again, I think this was a troll job from Jamel Hill. Yes. And if it was, it's brilliant. It's pro- it's a brilliant <laughs> troll job. I wouldn't want to if I had a show on Vice and they were asked me to interview Jake or Logan Paul slash I have no idea which one it is and they were like it's a boxing match and they were like well can I interview somebody else who does something in sports they were like no Jake Paul Jake I was Paul. like okay well guess what <laughs> we're going viral this morning <laughs> Jamel Hall, she's kind of had an interesting career arch because yes. I mean I don't know if it's just an ESPN issue you know ESPN had a change in leadership at the presidency a couple of years ago. That seemed to be about the time where her and Michael Smith, who used to do the six o'clock Sports Center, mm-hmm. uh, and that got criticism from some people about you know being too woke and kind of too edgy for Sports Center. Which whatever, some people like that stuff, some people don't like that stuff. I understand it one way or the other, but it seems like Jamel Hill has been actively trying to be a rebel for a lot of her sports media career and. Not that there's anything wrong with that either, but it seems like sometimes she just tries to be intentionally inflammatory. Perhaps, where do you think she's arrived at in her career? Is she is she falling down, or do you think she has actually like made herself more prominent? Well, I, I Jamel Hill and Michael Smith were two of the people that actually made me want to do sports media mm-hmm. when I was watching it. Uh, his and hers, yeah, uh-huh. on, on ESPN. I remember numbers never yeah. lied. Numbers that never lied was, was great back too. In the day, yeah. Uh, yeah. Both of them definitely made me want to get into sports media. But since it's, it seems like Jamel, there's not really a place carved out for you if you're a, unless you want to be a sideline reporter, if you want to be a black woman in sports media. So sometimes you're just going to hit up against the edges of what you can and can't do. And when you have name recognition, like she does, she does. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can just kick down doors and just <laughs> and act and act any way you want to when you get a little bit of name recognition like nobody really thought you would. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to make me interview Jake Paul, then this might be the qu- <laughs> this might be the question you get on my show. It's it's it, she's kind of fascinating to me because I'm not going to sit here and say that she has never opened her mouth and said something that irritated me, but there's a genius to saying something that's irritating because even here in Eastern North Carolina, and I am from Eastern North Carolina. I love Eastern North Carolina. Eastern North Carolina isn't necessarily Jamel Hill's audience. <laughs> Not really. But but there is something to you know her credit that has some sound bites of her show being played on an Eastern North Carolina sports talk radio station today yeah. because it's inflammatory is sometimes fun. But I think you're right. I think at the end of the day, the Jake Paul stuff. If you see that circulating today. 
Yeah, it feels like a pretty heavy this, troll job to say. Hey, come on, was it racist to knock him out? Like, I think like in, I, I think that was all completely tongue in cheek. I saw some people really getting upset online about that. Yeah, and sometimes you just gotta have some perspective. She, <laughs> I've seen her her serious pieces when she actually she writes for the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this isn't one of her serious takes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think. If I would have saw now, if I would have saw this headline in the Atlantic, yes. and there was nothing tug in cheek about the, that, I would have gotten her email and be like, "Come on, Jamal, what are we doing? What are we doing there?" But this is. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, I think this is a troll. A little bit of a pretty troll. pretty good troll. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, speaking of sportscasters who say foolish things sometimes, we'll take it from one end of the spectrum to the other. You heard from the woke Jamel Hill coming up after the break. You're going to hear from Mike Francesa, who tried to explain <laughs> emojis on his show the other day. <laughs> More of the Sam Avila show coming up next. Von Casey hanging out with me this afternoon. And welcome back to the Sam Avila show. Von Casey hanging out with me. Von, you are a a WWE fan. I like WWE. Yes. Yeah. So you're probably a big fan of uh, Becky Lynch. Yeah. Seth Rollins. Yeah. Cool people. Uh, they had their child yesterday. They did. Did you see what they named the baby? I did not. Do you do much cooking? Are you a cook? I I can chef a little bit. So you know if um. There's a bunch of different things you can do with this, but one of the a staple of knowing how to make a proper one, if you want to make like a good mac and cheese or different sauces, is being able to make a roux. Okay, a roux is like uh, basically flour and milk, mm-hmm. and it just it's a great thickener for sauces. Well, congratulations to Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins for having their baby yesterday, and they named the baby roux. R-O-U-X. So their baby is a one-to-one equal mixture of flour and milk. I mean, pretty accurate. <laughs> pretty accurate for a white baby. Yeah, yeah a little white good, baby. Good, good, for, good for her. It's like milky and pasty. It's yeah, like, that's what that looks like. <laughs> I think Becky Lynch has the, the best nickname, one of the best nicknames in wrestling. Her nickname is... The Man? The Man. Is that a good nickname? That's a great nickname. <laughs> that's a great nickname. Yeah. That's a, they, when... She first got pregnant. They made a shirt and put it on WWE.com. Uh, it said, the mom. The mom, nice. And she said, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this, but these checks will help with the baby. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're doing just fine between her yeah. and Seth Rollins. I'm sure they're okay. <laughs> yeah, congratulations on Baby Rue. Baby Rue. Um, got a kick out of that. All right, coming up in the next hour, we're going to get to, we're going to talk a little bit of college football. We had the new college football rankings come out. Last night, what does that mean for a couple of our in-state teams? Uh, let's see, what have I got written down? I know you want to talk about Jalen Hurts and Carson like Wentz at some yeah, point. I want to get today. on your Eagles real quick. Yeah, okay, that's fine. We can get to that. Um, <laughs> let's just pile it on with my Philadelphia sports fandom and maybe talk a little James Harden oh, coming yeah. up a little bit later in let's the show go. today. Even though it sounds like James Harden finally showed up in Houston. But kind of been a weird situation mm-hmm. <laughs> that's been going on uh, with James Harden and the Houston Rockets over the last couple of days. But I wanted to play for you this clip. We played the Jamel Hill clip in the last segment where she was, I think, trolling America. Whether you have issues with Jamel Hill or not, I think there is some humor and what she tried to pull off with Jake Paul. But if you're looking for sports figures, sports media figures who say things that are easy to laugh at, 
you can often seek out Mike Francesa, longtime sports host for WFAN up in New York. I don't even think he's with WFAN anymore. I think Doesn't matter. I think he does his own private thing out of his basement. Doesn't matter. Sports Radio 66, the <laughs> fan. <laughs> you can still get some Mike Francesa. And the best thing about Mike Francesa is he is oblivious to the fact that people like to make fun of him. Yes. You brought up uh, some clips from Jesus and Mero, a show that you like to listen to, yeah. where they like will make fun of him and then bring him on the show and make fun of him to his face. Yeah, the, he was completely unaware, unaware of the fact that he had been trolled by these people for like a decade. Right. Like literal, <laughs> like almost 10 years. <laughs> He's on the show, sitting with him. There is a, uh, there's a great Twitter account. Uh, it's a verified Twitter account. I don't know how, but it's called Back After This. Um, and it's devoted explicitly to making fun of Mike Francesa and like pulling up some of the funnier clips. Mm-hmm. So I've got one that I saw the other day, where because his his callers are in on it as well. Mm-hmm. Mike Francesa's callers are one hundred percent in on trolling their fearless leader, Mike Francesa. And he had somebody call up and ask him, Mike Francesa, to explain emojis to that. Take a listen. What is an emoji? Uh, yeah, what the heck is it? It's that little thing on your uh, computer. Yeah, you know the little guy. Like if you get it, if you get somebody sends you a message, you have a, do you have a text message? Yeah, of course. All right, when someone sends you like a thumbs up or something like that. Yeah. You know how someone does that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I an emoji. That Oh, so there's like a whole screen you push the buttons or something? No, that thing is called an emoji. That little oh, thing you see you. is an. <laughs> I love the the old man phrasing because Bill Belichick is kind of famous for this, where he says like I don't have the snap face or the face chat or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Mike Francesca, there's some comedic genius there to saying, "Do you have text? Do you have a text message?" Do you have a- <laughs> 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 One thing, most phones are guaranteed that. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna play it again just for Please do. just because it's fun. What is an emoji? Uh, yeah, what the heck is it? It's that little thing on your uh, computer. Yeah, you know the little guy. Computer. Like if you get it, if you get somebody sends you a message, you have a, do you have a text message? Yeah, of course. All right, when someone sends you like a thumbs up or something like that. Yeah. You know how someone does that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, an emoji. That oh, so there's like a whole screen you push the buttons or something? No, that thing is called an emoji. That little oh, thing you see you, is an emoji. Don't you love the idea that Mike Francesa thinks he's actually like helping this That's person what out? That's what's thinking. crazy he about it. He thinks he's teaching someone. Right. <laughs> which I don't know. Is it better to play along? <laughs> yeah. Right, because he doesn't want to just like bury this guy and be okay. like, how stupid can you be? <laughs> yeah. put a, we're going to put a poll up on Twitter. <laughs> is it better to play along with Mike Francesca? <laughs> God, do you, do you have do you have a text message? Yeah, yeah of what course. the heck is it? It's that little thing on your uh, computer. Yeah, you know the little guy. Like if you get it, if you get somebody sends you a message, you have a, do you have a text message? Yeah, of course. All right, when someone sends you like a thumbs up or something like that. Yeah, you know how someone does that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an emoji. That Oh, so there's like a whole screen you push the buttons or something? No, that thing is called an emoji. That little oh, thing you see you, is an emoji. You can hear the guy like licking his lips to keep the laughter down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 that thing. <laughs> if you if I could get you to like call and ask Mike Francesa to explain anything to you, to teach you something. 
Is there is there anything that you think you could get a better response out of him over? It would have to be something that he would have a little bit of experience with, right? <laughs> but not enough to actually like be an expert on. It. Yeah, Mike Francesca's an expert on anything though. Like that's anything true. and everything. What There's nothing that this guy doesn't know something about. I would one hundred. I would ask him uh, to teach me how to use Abacus. <laughs> 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 I think and I think that would make great radio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what he just needs to transition his show from sports talk radio to just like to just taking random questions. To just yeah, just like, hey, you know, I need help trying to fix my toilet. And only, Mike Francesca has to walk you through it. Yeah, there's only <laughs> one better clip from New York radio is when um regard this is when Giuliani was mayor. And he would do a uh, clip. He would do a show on the radio. I think it was weekly or biweekly. And you never heard the the, the guy call about the ferrets. No, this, I don't think I have. So <laughs> this guy calls up because apparently a law had been passed. Ferrets said, with Rudy Giuliani. Yes. We will find this during the break. Apparently we'll a law had been passed that said that you couldn't keep ferrets as pets in New York City or something like that. Um, and this guy called in to ask Giuliani about it, and Giuliani went off on him. Went completely nuts on the guy. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break. Uh, we will effort to find this clip uh, during the break. But coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as well, we'll talk some college football playoff rankings came out yesterday. We'll get to some Philadelphia Eagles, Carson Wentz talk, uh, some James Harden talk as well. This is the Sam Avila Show. Von Casey hanging out with me here this afternoon. Back, Back after this. <laughs> Hey, welcome back to the Sam Avila Show. Von Casey hanging out with me today. We're going to get to some college football stuff uh, and as it relates to our teams here inside the state here in just a minute. But, Von, before the break there, you mentioned, give me the setup for this again. We have found the clip, but you referenced an old radio clip from Rudy Giuliani, and it's about Rudy Giuliani and ferrets. Yes. So apparently, there had been some type of ruling that you couldn't have ferrets as a pet in, in New, New York, York City. City while he was governor. And he did this radio address, you know, like real Roosevelt fireside chats. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the guy called in to complain because he liked his ferrets. He wanted to be able to keep his ferrets. And, and I guess this, so I guess de Blasio was mayor back then, probably. Because it looks like this was from like the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, Giuliano was mayor. Giuliani, oh, Giuliani oh was mayor. Okay, nice. This time. He was the mayor of New York City, doing his doing his, doing his weekly chats. Yes, and he wanted to. So is he is he going to be defending the anti ferret stance or is he pro ferret? He is very very anti ferret. Anti ferret. Yeah. yeah. Just remember. All right. Well, without further ado, uh, I have never heard this before. I am excited. Here is an old clip of Rudy Giuliani uh, just taking out the ferrets. This is Rudy Giuliani back again on the air. Now we're going to go. We're going to go to David in Oceanside. Hello, Mr. Giuliani. We uh, speak again. Hi, David. Uh, let me introduce myself again. David Goodhart, executive president of New York Ferrets Rights Advocacy. Uh, last week when we spoke, oh, uh, no. you said a very disparaging remark to me that I should get a life. That was very unprofessional of you. 
Here we're trying to get something I, I, seriously done without you talking over me. We're trying to get something very seriously done. David, talked. you're on my show. I have the right to talk over you. But here's the thing. You and talked the fact over me is, the last time. And, and the fact, we are and trying the fact, to get an David. important issue taken care of where the city is violating state law. Get, and I asked you last week if you care about the law. Yes, I do care about the law. I think so you have totally and absolutely misinterpreted the law because there's something deranged about you. No, there isn't, sir. You, the law the, the excess. I'm going to keep it going. I want to reiterate, this is about ferrets. This is about ferrets. This is about ferrets. This, this is, isn't about anything. No, no, no. This shouldn't be this sensitive of a topic. This is ferrets. <laughs> okay. This is ferrets. The law Concern that you have ferrets. for ferrets is something you should examine with a therapist. Sir, understand it. Well, first not of all, with me. Don't go insulting me again. I'm not insulting. I'm yes, being honest with you. Maybe nobody in your life sir, has ever been honest with you. But this excessive. I'm to be more sane than you, David. First of all, there is something. There something is a serious. There Mr. is a, Giuliani. David, Rudy, this Rudy, conversation Rudy, is over. David, thank you. There is something really, really very sad about you. You need help. You need somebody to help you. This excessive concern with little weasels is a sickness. I'm sorry. That's my opinion. You don't have to accept it. There are probably very few people that would be as honest with you about that, but you should go consult a psychologist or a psychiatrist and have him help you with this excessive concern how you are devoting your life to weasels. There are people in this city and in this world that need a lot of help. There's something that has gone wrong with you. Your compulsion about it, your excessive concern with it, is the sign of something wrong in your personality. I do not mean to be insulting. I'm trying to be honest with you, and I'm trying to give you advice for your own good. You have a sickness. And I know it's hard for you to accept that because you hang on to this sickness, and it's your shield, it's your whatever. I, you know, you've got to go to somebody who understands this a lot better than I do. And I know you're real angry at me, and you're going to attack me, but actually you're angry at yourself. And what you're, you're, you're afraid of what I'm raising with you. You know, you need help. And please get it. <laughs> okay, so yeah. so, so there you go. All right, you know what? I am going to come to Rudy Giuliani's aid here. I think he's got a point. If you are somebody like the caller in that situation who is so upset and bothered that this is the second time in as many weeks that he called into Rudy Giuliani's show to have a discussion about ferrets, I'm on Giuliani's side here. I think if you are this obsessed over ferrets, maybe you just need to step back and look in the mirror and wonder to yourself if you should be devoting more of your time to something other than weasel care, as Giuliani described it. <laughs> so the thing, the thing about this, I don't know how in your mind you think this guy looks. Give me three descriptions, because the guy afterwards... Oh, you have a picture of him? Oh, yeah, because he went on NBC after this. If I could describe what Weasel Guy looks like. Yeah, give me three descriptors of how this guy looks. Ah, okay. Um, He has glasses. Okay. I don't know what I'm doing there. Why I say people wearing glasses. You're wearing glasses. I am. Not a fair guy, but, yeah. I think they're cool, but... Let's see. He's got glasses. He's definitely a white guy, because... That is not something that I feel like black people would mess around with. You know ferrets. what I mean? Like, no, we're uh, not. We're not collecting ferrets collecting over here. Ferrets, I, don't, I don't know anybody. Yeah. Ferrets. Okay. So he's so he's a white guy with glasses. He's not bald, but he kind of has a receding hairline, kind of like the horseshoe okay. hairline. I imagine if you ever saw Napoleon Dynamite, he looks very similar to Kip from Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. 
So, I'm going to show you the picture. Okay. You should put it up on Twitter. Is it Kip from Napoleon Dynamite? Here we go. It is... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, there's a lot going on in this photo. And, you know, photos make for great radio. But we're going to put it up on Twitter. He looks like if Joe Exotic and Indiana Jones and John Lennon had a baby. Oh, had a baby. John Lennon, Indiana Jones, Joe Exotic. If you could combine them all. Yes. I think this is what Ferret Guy would look like. 252 ESPN on Twitter. <laughs> Please go uh, answer the poll. Uh, should we just uh, figure out what Julian... <laughs> should we figure out if this was the best way for Julian to spend his time? Oh, man. And without looking at the picture, I want y'all to leave comments on how you think this guy looks. <laughs> Ferret Guy. Ferret Guy. That is... Uh, That's beautiful. That is... That happened on Earth. Beautiful, yeah. That's <laughs> that's one way to look at that. Uh, all right, let's get let's get to this real quick. Um, the new college football playoff rankings came out late last night. The top four: Alabama at nine and zero, Notre Dame at ten and zero, number two, Clemson, number three at nine and one, and Ohio State five and zero. That is where the uh, biggest point of contention for a lot of people is today mm-hmm. uh, and has been for quite some weeks. Ohio State having played just five games so far this year, and I believe their upcoming game for this weekend has been postponed or canceled uh, as well. They were supposed to be playing Michigan this weekend. That game is not going to be made up, it sounds like. Most colleges are pretty much done. I know most of our in-state schools are done. UNC is going to take on Miami this upcoming weekend, but pretty much everybody else in the country. And you can look at these teams directly behind Ohio State. Texas A&M, 7-1. Florida's 8-1. Their only loss coming to number 5, Texas A&M. Cincinnati's undefeated. Miami in the ACC is 8-1. Coastal Carolina, shout-out Chanticleers, 10-0. Do you have any thoughts at all about Ohio State having five wins and us saying, well, yeah, even though you've only had five wins, we understand you're still probably one of the best teams in the country. Let's throw you in there. This is what you get when things are ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when things don't make a lot of sense, This things don't make a lot of sense. I mean, I, I don't know. You put crazy into a blender and just came out with liquid crazy. Right. Like that's all that's all that happened. They were like, We're gonna take all these kids. They were thinking about trying to do a bubble. This was months a couple months ago. We were like, We're gonna try to do a bubble. That didn't work. We're gonna have Big Ten said, We're gonna plow right through, not stopping for games. Didn't play any games that first week <laughs> first week because a whole bunch of teams caught COVID. Like, this is what this is this was going to happen. And is anybody contending that Ohio State isn't the, probably the number five team? In the country? I think that's kind of my thing with it. I wonder if it's sort of a dangerous precedent descent. Not that I'm taken away from this season, not going one way or the other, <laughs> hopefully, right? But uh, I think you look out there and Justin Fields is expected to be the best player. You look across the Big Ten and it's like, okay, Michigan's bad. Even if that game had been played, Ohio State probably would have beat the mess out of Michigan. Yeah, no idea what Harbaugh's doing. I, I think uh, like the Illinois game was another one that was canceled for Ohio State. Probably still should give it to Ohio State. How about this, though? The ACC, the SEC, even though you can point at them and make fun of them a little bit, uh, if if you're against anybody playing amateur sports, college sports right now, they were first back. 
They were the first ones that came back. They didn't postpone the season as long as everybody else did, and they left themselves some wiggle room. For example, Carolina and Miami playing this weekend was supposed to be several weeks ago, but those other conferences kind of baked in some wiggle room, like I said, some flexibility if they needed to apply some scheduling. Should they be rewarded for that? Should a team like Texas A&M or Florida because the conferences were better about how they maybe handled this from a preparation standpoint, um, maybe they've done a better job of containing or keeping everybody safe and not allowing for a more rampant spread of COVID. Are you more in favor of rewarding the, the programs who have done a better job with all this? Or do you just simply want to say, yeah, but at the end of the day, we know Ohio State's probably better, so let's just stick them in there. Yeah, I just think it's that should be the bar anyway. Like, if you aren't taking care of your players, like, to keep their <laughs> their health and safety on the forefront, you shouldn't just be penalized with, like, oh, you're number 14 in the rankings. Like, <laughs> like would that – there's not even – I don't even think there's any real incentive if they did do that. Like, the, the it, they don't care about that. At the end of the day <laughs> – That's true, they don't. <laughs> at the end of the day, this season, wherever they put Ohio State – it was not going to have any bearing on how they handled their outbreaks. Right. They just weren't going to handle it. Like <laughs> the, this, the, trying to put any type of, yeah, but they did it good or they did it bad. It was all pretty bad. Right. Like even if you managed the, what you were doing and you kept mo, like you generally kept numbers low and everything like that, you're still taking a pretty heavy chance. Right. Like having them out there in the first place. So you, so you're, so I think we're kind of on opposites because at the end of the day, everybody's been talking about this over the last couple of weeks. I just don't really care. I think there, I don't know why we're drawing a line in the sand with any of this when we're just kind of like closing our eyes and putting blinders on and going headfirst mm-hmm. into a pandemic and playing college football. I have said since the summertime, I'm one of those people. It might be wrong. I'm just like, look, I don't care. If y'all want to go play football, go play football. I'm going to watch the football. I'm going to support the football. Yeah. But just because somebody else has struggled, Ohio State is only going to end up having played five games, Mm -hmm. and they are number four. If the season ended today, Ohio State would be in the college football playoff, despite only having played five football games. When you've got SEC teams that are playing ten football games. When you've got Notre Dame at 10-0. You've got Alabama at... 9-0. Nine and zero. The Big Ten has something worked into a clause this year where they said you have to play six games to even be in the conference title game. They might amend that, but Ohio State hasn't even played enough games to qualify for the title game within their own conference. I don't really care about all that. If people are going to be fussing about whether or not Ohio State deserves to be in, then I think college football did themselves a dis- disservice by not changing their playoff format for this year. It's like as wacky as everything was, they just should have opened it up immediately to eight teams, to twelve teams, and that would have solved all the problems. Yeah, I don't. I, I just don't. Well, I, I don't know why they were expecting this to be a year where they could control anything. Right. This the I, that should have been out of the cards from the moment things start going south in February. Like, <laughs> I, it's maybe 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 hubris. I don't. I don't know. It's like they couldn't get. Each of the um, they couldn't get each of the conferences to get on the same page, and they have no reason to get on the same page because they all have vested interests. Yeah, there's 
there was no way that this was going to work. And having a 5-0 and team sitting next to a 9-0 and team sitting next to a 10-0 and team, yeah. <laughs> like, we know this is ridiculous. Yeah. This is all ridiculous in the first place. So stop trying to put some type of reins on, on crazy. You knew this was crazy. Right. <laughs> from the beginning. <laughs> but it just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if I could relate it to, like, a track meet, mm-hmm. let's say we were having a 400-meter a sprint. And the 400 meters is the college football season. Mm -hmm. And the SEC and the ACC had to start 400 meters away from the finish line. And then uh, the Big 12 got to start 300 meters away. And then the Big 10 got to start 150 meters away. And everybody started at the same time. They arrived at the same finish line. But something doesn't feel quite fair about it. I think when you're going to hear it, because the reason I want to bring it up is because I just don't think there's any use fussing about it and sometimes the rhetoric in sports radio is unnecessary and useless radio i think that's what a lot of this argument that's going to be circling the college football playoff conversation over the next couple of weeks is just like a useless waste of time yeah there weren't any settings put in place that were gonna prevent against this everybody was doing their own thing all the conferences all the teams were on uh, completely different pages from one another Big Ten canceled football over the summer. They just flat out canceled it. And they're like, oh, wait, maybe we shouldn't have canceled it. But we're all trying to have everybody arrive at the finish line at the same time. But parameters weren't set in place. It's like if that 100-meter race was going to take place on an Olympic-sized pool and they had to run on the water. Yeah, like, right, and they still have to start at different times. Yeah, that's what we did. That's what that's what this college football season. exactly. So it's kind of like you just for everybody who's like, we want to play football. You can't get football. With all the craziness going outside of football, going on around football, you can't play it and then wish you still had the perfect result at the end. It's like I I look at it as take it for what it is. Yes, do I think Florida probably deserves to be in there because they played more games? Yeah, but they're not. So what do we want to do about it? It's like there's going to be an asterisk. People are going to be upset. Ohio State could go into the playoffs and win the whole damn thing, and they still would have only won seven games this season. And who says that they can't <laughs> change it still? Like, you, you were saying four, there's four teams open right. up the playoffs. What, you, you're going to change the rules to let Ohio State play anyway. Right, right. You're going to. They, yeah. Ohio State's going to play <laughs> in the playoff game. No matter if they don't play another game this season, they're going to drop it down to five. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Why not just open up the playoffs? Why not just open it's, it up? It's, it's, it's ridiculous on its face anyway. Just just do it. Just you, open it You up. know what you're doing. <laughs> Slap a – we talked about the crazy bowl names last time. Slap a, I don't know, Torstillo's running man bowl or something together and be like, these are the additional playoffs. <laughs> Have a – call it a play-in, a play to get into the playoffs. I'd do whatever. Just add something to that. If, if they're really that upset about arriving – because <sighs> – Every single year we go through the same thing. At the beginning of the year, before anybody took the field, you could have pretty much spelled out who was going to be in the college football playoffs this year. Mm -hmm. So just rewind three months and say, without COVID, who do you think would be in the college football playoffs? You'd probably say, well, Alabama will be there. Clemson will be there. Ohio State will be there. Coastal Carolina. Yeah, maybe Coastal (laughs) Carolina. Right. But it seems like every single year. It's the reason we've been doing this college football playoffs now for, like, what, five, six years? Mm Mm-hmm. It looks the same every season. It does. So We know who's there. So let's not fuss now. Ohio State's one of the best teams in the country. They are. (laughs) Um, Speaking of the college football playoff rankings, Carolina 
held firm. They did not uh, change their position after a nearly 50-point win over Western Carolina this weekend. Carolina comes in at number 17, and the NC State Wolfpack, we fussed about it last week, uh, they come in at number 23 as they finish their regular season, 8-3. and three. NC State, as of right now, is projected to play Texas in the Cheez-It Bowl, taking place in Orlando, Florida. Carolina, as of right now, expected to play in the Gator Bowl. Where let's see, projections have them to take on Ole Miss. So should be fascinating. Should be I think fun. That game with y'all in Texas might be pretty good. It should be good. And NC State's offensive coordinator uh, actually came in from Texas. Tim Beck did was there a year ago. I wanted to play this for you. So there's a radio show that takes place on 99.9 The Fan up in Raleigh. And uh, Joe Obvious and Joe Giglio. Joe Giglio used to write for the News and Observer as the NC State beat writer. And I saw this clip that he put out yesterday talking about NC State season as a whole this year. And he said this is one of the first times in recent memory that you can look back on an NC State season. And ECU has a lot of this too. I was talking with an ECU fan the other day and they said the, the memo on the ECU season this year was two what-if games. The Navy game, if Holton Aylers had not been forced to miss because of contact tracing, and then the Tulsa game, which was a blown call by the referees. Potentially two more wins for ECU. They would have finished with five wins this season. Season would have felt a little bit better. NC State, for the first time in a long time, does not have any of those what-if games. Mm -hmm. They won the games they were supposed to this year. The games they lost kind of made sense that they were going to lose them. But take a listen to this. This is Joe Giglio from 99.9, the fan up in Raleigh. If you're NC State and you've had the year that you've had, I say you describe it as resilient, both for slugging through the COVID protocols and the injuries. I mentioned Leary. He's been out since the Duke game. They lost their first two games without Leary, and it looked like, okay, season's going to go south. We've seen that before. It didn't. That's resiliency for the way that they've played. They've also been ingenious. They've found different ways to win this year. They beat Liberty on a blocked field goal. Yeah, you see that every day. 38-yard field goal. They beat Syracuse when Syracuse's quarterback spiked the ball on fourth down. Well, they put him in a situation where they didn't have any timeouts and he had a hurry. You still get some credit for that, no matter what. As I like to tell my youngest son, who I play golf with, there's no pictures on the scorecard. NC State, 7-3 and in the ACC. The number is the number. The standard is the standard. But here's something you can't say about NC State this year. And these are two words that are often associated with NC State football when you get to the end of the regular season. If only. If only they could have stopped Jamie Newman. If only Ryan Finley knew how to wait for his receivers to be set on third down. If only Kyle Bambard could make a 33-yard field goal. If only Russell Wilson could beat Maryland. If only Phillip Rivers could beat Maryland. You need me to go on? I don't think so. One thing NC State this year, which I would argue they have not done since 1991 when Dick Sheridan was the coach, they didn't lose a game they weren't supposed to. There's not one loss of the three for NC State this season where you go, man, they really should have won that game. And if you'd like to retort Virginia Tech, I would say no. I don't know what magic dust the Hokies were on that night, but they were breathing fire out of the gate. But they fizzled. And actually, Virginia Tech's collapse is all the more reason to give Dave Doran credit for the resiliency that NC State showed this year. So, 
My hat is off to Dave Dorn and to the Wolfpack for their 7-3 and three ACC record and for doing something that hasn't been done since 1991, and that is taking care of business. And that's been a, a big point of contention for NC State fans uh, for years and years is you know some of those if-only games that you heard Joe talking about there. It's why last week you and I were having a conversation when I was telling you how upset I was that NC State wasn't getting any respect this year. Mm-hmm. It looks like they're finally going to end the season with a top 25 ranking, depending on how the bowl game goes. But NC State coming into this year had zero expectations. North Carolina had all the expectations. They were number five in the country at one point. Yeah. As of right now, Carolina is still a game to play this weekend against Miami. NC State is going to finish fourth in the ACC this year in football. And it feels weird, and I don't even feel excited about it because it's unheralded, it's unhyped, it wasn't expected. But in what seemed like more of a boring run-of-the-mill kind of season for NC State, they quietly have had one of the best seasons that they've had in 30 years. Yeah, it's... Wolfpack fans have something to be happy about. And, you know, I, I like seeing Wolfpack fans happy. <laughs> I feel like everybody kind of does. But I, then honestly, we get too full of ourselves. Yeah, then, 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 then you know, you fly too close to the sun, then we all like watching you crash. Yeah. But <laughs> other than that part of it, I think it you run into one of those situations. Like a lot of teams in uh, North Carolina in general are where nobody is expecting much out of you. Mm-hmm. Where you're you're – kind of jockeying for position in a place where most people aren't expecting much. Even so, if you're the best team in the state, yeah, the best team in the state doesn't carry a lot of weight outside of North Carolina. Yeah, it's a, it's a completely <laughs> North Carolina thing. Right. But seeing it translate over, and honestly, if we're just talking about expectations-wise, that point about uh, uh, the Tar Heels... You couldn't make an argument the state had a much better year than the Tar Heels did. Like, even even if the the rankings don't show it, mm-hmm. state this year provided a solid team, and like like they said, that's not usual right. for state. A us a solid team for state looks like fighting for what position in the ACC usually we're talking fifth like, yeah fifth six is a great year it seems like NC State is I know in recent memory especially outside of a few really bad quarterback years it's hey how far can Ryan Finley take you hey how far can Mike Glennon take you yeah. how far can Russell Wilson take you this year you don't look at NC State and you don't single out and point out any specific player that's dragging this team like take Carolina for example great season they've had it's been off the arm of Sam Howell. Sam Howell is still not even finished with his second year of, as a college football player. He is already tied for the second most passing touchdowns in UNC history. Yeah. He's four away from the lead, about to catch Marquise Williams, who was like a five-year senior yeah. at UNC. Sam Howell has been incredible. NC State hasn't really gotten that from any guy. Dave Dorn is in, I believe, his eighth season. At NC State. Probably his best season so far, especially just from a pure coaching standpoint, not so much results-based. When I talk about building a college football program, Mm -hmm. and you can use Mike Houston at ECU, for example, right now, just finished his second year. Does looking at a guy like Dave Dorn and what he's done over eight years at NC State, where there have been the pitfalls, last year was a four-win season, kind of a freak year last year with injuries and some quarterback problems, 
does it make you feel like you need to give college football coaches a longer leash? Like a guy like Mike Houston, if he goes in next year, has three win, four win season over the next two, three years, four wins, five wins. People are going to be clamoring for the hot seat, but you realize if you really commit to having a coach build a program, speaking to the point that you made about the in-state schools, our North Carolina football schools, yeah, the best you can maybe ever hope for is a 9-win, 10-win season, but you might be getting those pretty consistently if you just stick with your guy and let him build the brand. That's always the argument, but I think pretty there's a point in time where a good athletic director is going to see what they have in a coach Mm -hmm. and you'll see it in probably year three now that's usually when you figure out are we sticking with this person or are we just in for the next 10 20 years of four wins right right (laughs) so we we on on this level it can take a long time to turn around the uh the fortunes of a team just simply based off of who you can actually bring in right because when you are bad for so long those recruiting classes are dry Mm -hmm. like it doesn't matter what kind of coach you have you're not getting talent so what state has managed to do state has managed to keep its name and say what you will about where you where you were finishing at a certain point people were like consistency i can take these maybe i'll take a three-star recruit and they'll end up looking like an NFL prospect by the time I'm done with so them. So State's done a lot of that yeah, over the last couple of years. Yeah, Kids look at that because every kid that comes out is not a five-star recruit. They're not a four-star recruit. Those right. three-star kids are looking at that like that program can kind of turn your fortunes around just based off of the position coaches that they have. And like you said, State's done that. Yeah, And it, it, encourages, a, a, it encourages a school. It encourages the athletic director to say, we can kind of turn this thing around. It's just going to take a minute. With ECU, which you brought up as the comparison with Mike Houston, you just don't see a lot of it because when are we talking about the heyday of ECU was football wise? Like we can, you can <laughs> the nineties, yeah, we yeah, can. You know, some years when they were in the independent back when, before you were born, <laughs> before the people, before I was born, I just graduated. Yeah, yeah, right. Before exactly. the people who are coming in now were born. Yeah, right. <laughs> the kids who are coming out of high school this year with limited tape on them. And you're having to rely on all of your scouts to go pick you out a diamond right. out, of, out of the rough. I think that what State has done by sticking with their horse is admirable. And you'll probably see continued success. I hope for y'all's sake y'all see continued <laughs> success. Uh, but with a program like ECU, unless you're really willing to go all in, you know, by year three, by year four, it might be time to... <laughs> to go ahead and there might be something to that. I, it's almost as if when we talk about you know, a coach comes in and there's, there's no perfect recipe. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing scientific about hiring a college football coach and having him build a program. But oftentimes, the expectation from fans is you need to go from having two win seasons and three win seasons, what three straight three win seasons under Scotty Moe, and then yeah. a three win season last year. You need to you need to win eight games. You win, need to win nine games. Where more realistically, it seems like the better way to build it is improve that base number, mm-hmm. improve that base number little by little. So then you get to the point where your program, the idea of having a season less than six wins, isn't even it's not even a thought in your head. Like you think about Alabama and what they've done under Nick Saban. 
even if they don't make a college football playoff in a year, even if they don't have one of these world-class undefeated teams that are surefire to make the college football playoffs, the expectation is still, even in their worst year, they're going to have seven, eight wins. They're going to have nine wins. More realistically, for our schools, even in their worst years, it needs to be like five or six wins. And Dave Doran, I think you can say, has gotten NC State to that point where, barring any ridiculous circumstance, the base expectation is six to seven wins a year, and then occasionally you'll have the one-off seasons where you've got the right pieces, you've got the right leadership, you've got the right amount of seniors in place, you've Mm -hmm. got the one superstar player, and then you can exceed even higher. ECU's base layer has been like zero wins yes. for the last couple of years. Mike <laughs> Houston is trying to get him to a point where five wins is the minimal expectation every year. But you gotta you gotta you know, it's two steps forward, one step back a little bit yeah. sometimes instead of let's just take the whole shot here and see if we can be that team that wins ten, eleven wins. It's unreasonable to expect so much so early. It that's true. And I mean you're right, there's no scientific way to 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 go about this, yeah. I mean, feel sorry for Michigan. They pull hardball. <laughs> yeah, they was supposed to be like the thorn in Ohio State side yeah. for the next twenty years. And you were thinking like, and if you're a, a, I'll never understand what happened with the scouting situation there because you would think if a coach comes from the NFL, players are like, well, doggone, he knows what to look for in an NFL player. I'll go play for him. Yeah, no such luck. Well, it was that for a couple of years. They were crushing it on the recruiting trail, but then they and, got there. Yeah, and it was like, oh wait. Uh, he's not helping me. It's no such luck. I, I, I'll, I need a doc, a documentary on what really <laughs> happened there because that makes no sense to me. But then you'll run into on the opposite side of that. You're, uh, you're in a situation like ECU is where your heyday was before all of the players on your team right now were born, and they don't know anything about a culture of, right. of winning on <laughs> on campus, like at least football wise, right? You know. There's no big – there's not a a big pride in going to go see them play and get blown out by 40 or 50 points. Right. Like, it, there's, it gets to the point where you're like, hmm, we're just trying to make sure we lose by less points this season than we did last, than we did yeah, last season. Right. Like, that type of incremental change is not going to really inspire a fan base. No, but, but it but it needs to. It needs to. To a point. It, that needs to be good enough. And you mentioned the culture thing. I think that's what ECU fans are kind of so excited about with Mike Houston. Still trying to see him do it at this upper FBS level, but he's a guy who what, won a national championship when he was at – James Madison. Mm-hmm. I think he won a national championship when he was the coach at Lenore Ryan. Mm-hmm. So at the very least, he can bring some uh, some hope and some expectation uh, along with him. It does. It does. NC State does bode well for Mike Houston's position. You would hate to see him uh, just lose the shot to actually make something special. Because if you're if you're ECU, what, what are you what are you moving on from him for? Like where are you going? Yeah, right. <laughs> and I don't think anybody's like saying that no, at this no, point. No. I'm just more saying over the next couple of years, the example here is well, look at Dave Dorn. Mm-hmm. There have been times in the eight years where people have wanted to fire Dave Dorn. Thankfully, cooler heads have always prevailed. Whether it was old athletic director Debbie Yao, they hired a new athletic director in Boo Corrigan mm-hmm. uh, about a year ago. They've held the course with their guy. I think. We're, we're going to find out a lot about this ECU football program over the next three years. But I think as long as Mike Houston, it looks like it's getting a little bit better, even just the most incremental things that have such a lasting long-term effect. 
Then the other side of the coin comes in where it's when Mike Houston has success, is he leaving for a bigger program? Yeah. and That's you know, always going to be a problem. If Mike Houston can get Carolina Alehouse rocking and uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> up there in Greenville while people are watching the game, then he might, he might be around for a while. <laughs> he might be around for a while. All right, that's enough college football stuff. We're going to take a quick break here when we come back. Vaughn's going to lay into me because um, – my Philadelphia Eagles, oh, Carson Wentz, like $125 million. Yeah, and welcome just, to the bottom. They just benched him for a second-round pick. That yeah, first-place yeah. lead we had in the NFC East didn't last too long. Mm-mm. You're smiling way too much about this. This should be fun. It's just, yeah, <laughs> come down here with us. <laughs> this is the Sam Avila Show. Von Casey hanging out with me today. Welcome back to the Sam Avila Show. Von Casey hanging out here with me today. Von's getting ready to hand it to my Eagles. We'll figure out uh, Vaughn's thoughts on Carson Wentz versus Jalen Hurts. But before we do, the Dallas Cowboys last night (laughs) gave up 294 rushing yards to the Baltimore Ravens. Yes, 294 rushing yards. That is the most rushing yards that an NFL team has given up this season Mm -hmm. since... The Dallas Cowboys gave up 307 yards all the way back in week four against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Mike Nolan's definitely going to get fired, y'all's defensive coordinator. 100%. What are your chances on Mike McCarthy getting fired at this point? I'm trying to remember the quote from Troy Aikman last night was something along the lines of, this organization, man, I just don't know where they go from here or something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, we were, we've been in that situation before with Troy Aikman. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. we've been in that situation before when he went one in fifteen in his first year. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I wouldn't, you know, blow up the most profitable franchise in the NFL just yet. Uh, but giving up two hundred and ninety-four yards is a wee bit ridiculous, yeah. don't you think? <laughs> I, I, the thing about this defense is it picks and chooses when it wants to have teeth, which is a sign of bad coaching. Okay. To me. When you have because any defense that can stand up and make plays sometimes and then get battered other times means that we just have good players. I feel like that has so much to do with yes, there are some good players. There's without a doubt yeah. some talent on that Dallas Cowboys defense. It's just at some point like how do you ask a guy to go out there and play when he's three and nine? You know, and yeah. when you look across and you feel like nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Remember you gotta think Coach- back to like week three, week four, they were literally reports coming out of Cowboys camps that players were saying Mike McCarthy does not know what he's doing. <laughs> it's it's completely coaching. Like this it it starts at a coaching level and anybody I saw some people pining for the days of Jason Garrett. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. There's no reason if you were in an abusive relationship, don't pine because you found somebody worse. <laughs> One better, right. <laughs> just one better. One don't don't better go back to the abusive don't relationship. Don't go back to that one. Hey, Jason Garrett, though, man, that's first place New York Giants. Just beat he, he just Jason Garrett, the offensive mastermind that's, that led Colt McCoy and Alfred Morris to a win over the Seattle Seahawks. Completely fine. Keep them. I don't care. How, <laughs> I don't care what kind of success they right. have in New York. In this franchise, Jason Garrett didn't work. No. Like in this franchise, he can. I don't know how good of an offensive coordinator Jason Garrett can be. Right. In another franchise, maybe great. Here, didn't did not ever pan out. As far as Mike McCarthy goes, 
I don't see him getting fired this year simply because of Dak's injury. Mm-hmm. And also because of the amount of talent they were able to bring in in the draft. Yes. You get saved when you find a CD lamb or not fine, but when you, a CD lamb slides to you and you pick up a digs in the second round, mm-hmm. you're going to get a little bit of lee- leeway. Dak Prescott breaks his yeah. leg. You're going to get, you're gonna get a little bit of, you a little get, bit of leeway. A, you get probably a year pass this year, probably pass. I've been thinking about next year since week two. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> let me ask you this though, um, before we get to the Eagles, because we are going to get to them. Some of this conversation may have to take place tomorrow. The Eagles this off season have a lot to deal with mm-hmm. at one position, a quarterback. Dallas just has a lot of stuff they need to deal with all over the field. Um, I don't necessarily know if they're going to fire Mike McCarthy either. This whole Mike McCarthy experience, I almost feel like it's left such a stink. And I already had questions about Mike McCarthy. I think we joked about it at the beginning of the year where I was like, I don't understand how we go from Jason Garrett to Mike McCarthy and Cowboys fans are excited about this. Like, I thought this was failed from Jump Street Mm -hmm. with Mike McCarthy. But I'll ask you this. What kind of a job would another coaching coordinator or another coaching candidate rather be taking if he went to Dallas? Because I look around the NFL and I'm trying to name off some teams that will be hiring a coach this offseason. The Jaguars. I would think, are going to move on from Doug Marone this year. Uh, the Jets, we think, are going to move on from Adam Gase this year. The Chargers, probably going to move on from Anthony Lynn so. this offseason. Yeah. And the Atlanta Falcons are going to have to replace Dan Quinn. I don't think they're going to give Raheem Morris uh, any any you know hope there to actually take over the job himself. Mm-hmm. Of those teams you got to think that some of those jobs are better opportunities in Dallas because I always maintain that it takes – you said Jason Garrett wasn't going to work in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Something about his personality works in Dallas because he's kind of sheepish, shy, and lets Jerry take center stage. If you're a guy like Eric Bieniemy or Robert Sala, those are probably going to be, again, the two biggest names that people go after in this cycle, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, defensive coordinator for the for the 49ers. I would rather take the Chargers' job to inherit Justin Herbert there. Mm-hmm. I would. The Jaguars is tough. I don't know if I'd want the Jets' job, but there is some allure there to the idea of being able to get Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Dallas doesn't come in at the top of that list for me. I would have to make some concessions if I know if I'm going in. It's the same problem we always talk about. Sure, you get Dallas, you get. You know, the the hype that comes with being Dallas, you're inheriting a pretty solid team, we think, but you always got to deal with Jerry, and you're never the alpha in the room when you're the head coach in Dallas. So here's the thing about this. this I can only go off of our most recent success, mm-hmm. and that was when Jerry Jones booted Jimmy Johnson <laughs> right. from the franchise uh, and gave Barry Switzer one of the easiest championship runs you could ever have. <laughs> <laughs> but... That was the last time we got a Super Bowl. That was the last time we got two Super Bowls. Right. Somebody has to buck back at Jerry <laughs> Jerry Jones. That that has to be how it works. Is He's, that a first year coach? Like, is that one of these hot young names who doesn't have any head coaching experience? It could be. You, I mean, it it, it honestly could be. As, as crazy as it sounds, coming straight from um, even Jerry Jones came from college. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, yeah, experience, but you know, he came from college and he. I think the famous quote, he took his team from the absolute worst to the absolute best. He won in 15 with Troy Aikman to a Super Bowl a couple of years later. Right. 
if you have the type of mentality to where, all right, Jerry, yeah, you're the owner, but I know you're not going to fire me right now because the team's successful. You have the pieces to put a pretty successful team on the field and to make sure if Jerry Jones does fire you, wherever you land, you're going to be on your feet. Like you'll you'll be fine if you take this Cowboys team from a probable four and twelve finish or three and twelve finish this year to we're talking maybe eleven eleven wins. Yeah, I mean you're you're the savior of the NFL. Yeah, like you can. We always I always joke about the America's team thing. Yeah, let the Dallas Cowboys do some real winning, and let, then you'll realize very quickly like oh there is something to the fact that ninety eight percent of our population seems to be obsessed Cowboys fans. The, it, <laughs> you, You'll see, it'll be completely different. It, Jerry Jones fires you. You're in a better spot than when you went in. If you succeed there mm-hmm. by bucking back against them, yeah. I, there's no. There's not a downside to it. There's a downside to being maybe if you want stability, sure. Mm-hmm. But this is the NFL. If you start losing a bunch, you're not going to have stability anyway. Yeah. You well, the the idea the the blueprint that somebody needs to find is yes. Like, I hope you can come in win 10, 11 games in Dallas. And then once you do that, you can tell Jerry what you want mm-hmm. uh, for a little while, and then and then you know yeah. it's it's a, it's a constant pendulum shifting with Jerry Jones. Mm-hmm. He's gonna love you when you do some winning, but the second they're talking about Eric Bieniemy, the savior of the Dallas Cowboys, it's my winning. Then Jerry's gonna be like, "No, it's, it's, it's me. It's I hired Eric Bieniemy," <laughs> and that's gonna be tough for about three seasons. But if you get two Super Bowls out of it. Looking at Jerry, <laughs> at the Jerry Johnson, at the Jimmy Johnson formula, and you leave, and you're, yeah. I, can, I'm, I can coach anywhere. <laughs> a coaching job will be open for me, and I can go do it to, with another franchise that doesn't have a, a megalomaniac running it. <laughs> You'll be fine. I think somebody just really needs to just go in there and say, "I'm winning on this team, Jerry, and you can fire me after I'm done doing that." All right. Well, let's get to the Dallas Cowboys here. Or excuse me, not the Dallas Cowboys. The Philadelphia Eagles, who are dealing with a lot of their issues of their own right now. Carson Wentz benched over the weekend. Jalen Hurts, it was announced yesterday, Jalen Hurts will be the starter this weekend for the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to allow you, Vaughn, (laughs) to take whatever shots you want at my Eagles. Take whatever shots you want about Carson Wentz. But before you do that, I am going to make you listen to this heartfelt message. Now... There is a young man who is a – his name is Giovanni Hamilton. Okay. He's gone viral a couple times as it relates to Carson Wentz because he is a diehard Eagles fan. Okay. Um, he's probably about 11 or 12 years old. He suffers from a rare disease called Schwartz-Jampel syndrome, a mm-hmm. uh, rare genetic disorder. He's had 12 different operations. This guy has become like a poster boy for – Eagles football and Carson Wentz fandom because he's been a huge Wentz fan since Wentz came into the league. So before you rip Carson Wentz, I want you to listen to this message Mm -hmm. from young Giovanni Hamilton, who is an icon Mm -hmm. in the Eagles fandom. So listen, and then let's see how mean you want to be. Okay. Hey, guys. So this video is to Carson. Carson, I don't know if you're going to see this because you don't do social media a lot. And I know for sure you don't listen to my podcast. And I just want to say, dude, you are still my hero. You're still my idol. I look up to you. Uh, The way that you fought through so much injuries and just bad seasons, it, it 
tells a lot about you and um you're gonna get through this um you're like rocky and i'm like mickey still in your corner cheering you on um and you know it tells a lot about you is that last week you were cheering on Jalen on the sidelines when he got his first touchdown and you were clapping. Um, and a lot of people were surprised about it. And I'm going to be honest, I wasn't because it's just the person that you are. And this weekend, I'm going to be cheering on Jalen too because number one, he's wearing a bridge jersey. And number two, uh, it's what you would do. And I want to be like you. Go Bridge. Go Birds. Thank you. That's Giovanni Hamilton. You can actually check out his podcast. Uh, It's just called Eagles Brawl. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. So you heard from the 13-year-old there himself, Vaughn. So go ahead. What are are the negative things that you had to say about my boy Carson Wentz? (laughs) So here's the thing. I actually had nothing negative to say about Carson Wentz. Really? So that completely, that clip, shout to Giovanni, I'll, I'll probably listen to your podcast. I have nothing negative to say about Carson Wentz. He didn't do anything wrong. He just plays for a uh, terrible organization oh, no <laughs> all so. right so so break this down so you you don't you do not like the move by the eagles to go to jalen hurts i'm not gonna say that mm-hmm. i think thinking that the problem was carson wentz on this team is flawed mm-hmm. is carson wentz a superstar quarterback still i don't know will i ever get the chance to find out i don't know but i know one thing he did not have the talent around him to ever make it likely to see that we could ever see it right nelson Aguilar was number probably his second best receiver he's ever had ever probably ever ever and he's mr my hands don't work this today (laughs) (laughs) he's mr drops yeah except now magically he's great in oakland but that's neither here nor there (laughs) that's exactly where my point's going so your clip plays exactly into where i was going that's why i let you get it off giovanni it's okay. You will be able to support Carson on another team when he goes and does some winning. Because I think there are franchises out there that are going to need a quarterback fairly soon. And I think there's one that's in his own division that will need a quarterback fairly soon. Because they're starting a 36-year-old. Not only starting a 36 <laughs> Colt McCoy will not be the future. Oh, I'll say an Alex Smith in Washington. You should say Alex yeah. Smith, but Colt McCoy will not be the quarterback of the future in New York. Carson as a free agent, maybe if y'all don't keep him on the bench and decide to pay all of that money, isn't crazy. It's not it's not the wildest thing in the world. Right. Like there aren't there have never been in the history of the league thirty two good quarterbacks. Right. At the same time. When one of them is on the bench on a on a on a rival, you go after him. Not that Carson's the long-term solution, but it's it's not ridiculous to me that it, it it's ridiculous to me that Carson is looked at as the problem on this team when there are so many other issues go- going on. Yeah, I agree with that. And I a couple weeks ago, when this first sort of started to become a bigger story that this might be coming, mm-hmm. that is what I said. I came up and I immediately defended Carson Wentz. I said, look, you know, when you when you go out there and They've spent draft picks on J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. They've spent draft picks on Jalen Rager. Howie Roseman, who I honestly cannot believe still has a job. Howie Roseman came out about two weeks ago 
Uh, this was after Philly lost to Seattle, and he was asked, "Why didn't you? Why did you guys pass over DK Metcalf a couple of years ago? Because two years ago they drafted JJ Arcega Whiteside, who has a grand total of 212 receiving yards. Mm-hmm. He was a first round pick. They passed over DK Metcalf, and he said, "Well, you know, he had some injury issues we were concerned about, but literally the next pick the Eagles had after." passing over DK Metcalf was draft Sidney Jones, who was coming off of a torn Achilles in college. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and I think Philly has made a lot of mistakes around Carson Wentz. I don't think they're moving on from him. I think this is, hey, we got to do something. The season's kind of lost anyways. Carson, it's really not you, but we got to do something. I think Doug Peterson is doing this as an attempt to save his own job. But if we go into this offseason, if you're going to say, Who's going to get fired? Is it Doug Peterson going to get fired, or are they going to move on from Carson Wentz? I don't think there's any way they do both of those things. I think that is way too drastic of a move. That is coming into this radio studio and flipping all these desks upside down. I don't know if that's really the greatest solution. and uh, I I think it's going to be one or the other. If they want to move on from Carson Wentz, then I don't think they get rid of Doug Peterson. That will be them like applauding him for making an aggressive move. I think Jalen Hurts is still a gap filler. And you're talking about, you know, maybe you can trade Carson Wentz away. What if Jalen Hurts plays really well over the next couple of weeks? Maybe you have, um, you know, some trade bait there. But Eagles fans don't want to hear that because the last time you had to choose between quarterback A or quarterback B, you let go of, air quotes here, he did win it though, Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. Mm -hmm. But even looking back on that decision today, I'd still rather have Carson Wentz than Nick Foles. I would too. I think Foles... Foles does a better job of Carson than stay, uh, staying on the field. Yeah. Like, but Carson still has the upside. I feel like does. that's still going to be the thing. I mean, he is only 27 years old. He and I, he's getting ready to turn 28 in December 30th. The guy's my age. He's still got some upside. He's still got some some opportunity and some time to develop into a, a better quarterback. It just it just depends on what this organization is going to do to actually help him out. And that goes for Jalen Hurts too. Say mm-hmm. you move on from Carson Wentz. Who's Jalen Hurts throwing the ball to? Yeah. Like Nobody. JJ R second white side and his two hundred and twelve <laughs> yards over three seasons. Like that's it it's it almost comes as a sh- it's a shock to me because I remember growing up play- we had to play the Eagles mm-hmm. twice a year. It was always the worst because playing the Eagles as a Cowboys fan, it's just always a, a brawl. Right. You had Westbrook and Owens and God, y'all just had I remember an abundance of talent on that team. Oh yeah. Both sides and, of the football. Yeah. And yeah. it seeing it depleted, like so quickly too. Like there was a point in time where you could argue that the Eagles had maybe top ten most talented rosters oh, yeah. in the NFL. So those McNabb teams, yeah. you know, McNabb was right there every single year. And even when the team turns around and has its bad years as teams are going to have, seeing the dra- every draft pick turn out to be nothing after mm-hmm. nothing is just that's, – that's, that's a problem beyond football. At a certain point, you're going to have to start looking at the head office like, what are you giving me to play with? Yeah. Like, Car- Carson Wentz being on the bench, I, well, I would be clapping for Jalen Hurts too. If, if, I, if he, <laughs> like, there, I know it's not my fault. I know I can st- I can still play football as Carson Wentz. I can I'm still pretty good as a quarterback. It's just one of those unfortunate situations that players seem to run into where they had a window and it looks like the window closed a little quicker than everybody was expecting. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I do think it's worth noting out or noting here that this is without a doubt Carson Wentz's worst season mm-hmm. statistically. 
2,600 yards, 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions this year. We're acting like this has been a long pattern of behavior from Carson Wentz. Just last year, over 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, only seven interceptions, uh, 64% passer completion. The year before that, 70%, 3,000 yards, uh, ran a little bit more that year. And again, 21 to 7 touchdowns to interception ratio. He was pretty good that's, last year. That's. He's just having a weird player. year, and they yeah. have no support around him, like you yeah. said. I, if the depending, I don't know if Doug Peterson actually believes he's going to keep his job, depending on what free agency moves they make. Yeah, if they have to go out and make, they have to go out and make some splashes in free agency. They're, this seems like a team that's lacking any type of of identity. Like they're just going out there and playing football simply because the contract says they have to. Yeah, it's, it's sad, but if you ask me, like, okay, where where's the identity for this Eagles team? I'd say it, it exists on the shoulder of two players. Fletcher Cox, who's been one of the best D tackles in the league for a long time, yes. and then uh, a first-round pick they actually did hit on, Derek Barnett, defensive end out of Tennessee yes. a couple years ago. He has been pretty solid this year. Vaughn's going to be back in here tomorrow. We're probably going to do some more NFL talk, and that might include – uh, some more Carson Wentz. I do want to talk about James Harden tomorrow, but we're going to have to wrap up the show. I wanted to mention here, I got some breaking news. Uh, NC State, we talked about it earlier in the show. They've had two consecutive games canceled. Uh, they announced this afternoon that they are pausing all men's hoops activities as two more players of their traveling party have tested positive for COVID-19. I said uh, I read the quotes from Michigan's head coach, Jawan Howard, whose state was supposed to be playing tonight, and he had a weird way of phrasing um, a statement where he said right now he was just concerned for Kevin Keats and Kevin Keats's family. Mm. So okay. I haven't, I'm not reporting anything, but it sounds like if you want to make some inferences with the members testing positive for NC state. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Prayers to Kevin Keats. Then. Yeah. So that sounds, uh, <laughs> that's very cryptic. That was like a Gordon Hayward's, when Gordon Hayward's leg broke and uh, who was the one that tweeted Lord carry him now? Yeah. <laughs> did you see um uh we were making fun last week of magic johnson and his obvious tweets mm-hmm. i was listening to a podcast the other day and uh, i guess magic johnson like a full 48 hours after nate robinson had been knocked out mm-hmm. tweeted out prayers up for nate robinson and like everybody thought magic johnson was reporting that nate robinson yes. had died yeah, from yeah. complications or something <laughs> it was dwight howard dwight howard that said lord carry him gosh out. She was. So, I, 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 so, yeah. uh, so we'll have any news that we can get on NC State basketball front uh, as it comes about. But NC State basketball fans, in the meantime, well, you're just not playing anytime soon. Vaughn, uh, we don't have any plans for tomorrow's show, but we'll figure something out. It'll be yes, a good time. Yes, we will. We always do. <laughs> so big thank you to Vaughn Casey. You can check him out on Twitter at Vaughn K252, V-O-N-K-252. Five two. You can always download the Sam Avil Show podcast wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you back here tomorrow, four o'clock, right here on two five two ESPN Radio.